turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Clark Hilton is across the glass engineering this show, and I have the privilege of being across the table from a friend of mine. His name is Andrew Fields, the director of Satchison, which I'll spell out for you, like all good homeschooling organizations. It's an acronym. S-A-C-H-S-N stands for the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, which we pronounce as Satchison. So welcome, Andrew Fields. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Just so you know, you'll be hearing advertisements coming up on our sister station, 104.1 The Fish, about the Satchison 2015 Homeschool Roundup. It's coming Thursday, May 28th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Our Savior's Lutheran Church in South Salem. That's on Baxter Road, right by the Commercial Street Walmart. So, Andrew, tell us about the event, first of all. Well, my wife and I took over as directors of Satchison back in 2009, and one of the things that we saw that seemed to take place in a lot of the other educational choices, private as well as public schooling, was these things called roundups, where before the school year would start, there'd be this opportunity for parents, usually of children going into kindergarten, to go to these roundups where they could have a chance to see what the schools did, um, talk to teachers and, and, and vendors of services there to get an idea of what they could expect their children to experience in school. And we thought, why don't we do something like that for homeschoolers? And so we kind of brainstormed together and came up with this idea of having a roundup. Um, and there were plenty of groups in Salem that were interested in attending. And so we put this thing together. The first roundup was back in 2010. And it's very well attended. It's probably one of the most um, heavily attended homeschooling um, event that takes place in the city of Salem every year. Uh, we've had it, this will be the sixth year. We've had it five years at First Baptist Church in downtown Salem. Um, and this year it's going to be at Our Savior's Lutheran. Um, which um, partly because an individual who was on the board of the Salem Public Library um, actually said, hey, I'd love to have it at my facility. And we decided, you know what, that's a good opportunity for us to branch out and have it at some different locations. And so he was gracious enough to provide us with the facility. So that's where it's going to be taking place. Well, sometimes it's good to mix up our locations to serve more than one general region better than the others. So in this case, uh, our Savior's Lutheran. It's a lovely facility. Mm -hmm. It's big, tall, up on the hill. My kids have played piano there Mm -hmm. before and got the adjudicator type Mm -hmm. things going on. Used to have piano recitals there. And it's just a lovely building, Mm -hmm. lots of parking. So how much does something like this cost to attend, whether you're already a homeschooler or interested in finding out about homeschooling as an option when it comes to education? Well, that's one of the beautiful things. It's free. Costs nothing. Um, we don't even charge for the people that come in and provide provide the tables. Um, this is a no-cost event. Satchison takes care of all those costs. We're a volunteer-run organization, so we make sure those things are taken care of. And even the facility um, this um, was, was donated by the church, so they donate. So it's just a free event. So anybody is welcome to come. It's good to see people on board for a common mm-hmm. cause. And we're a diverse bunch, mm-hmm. homeschooling families, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. So for those of us who are less familiar with home education as an option. Can you tell us why you do what you do and why do you and your wife, Pam, homeschool your children? 
Well, homeschooling is one of those things that you almost it's less of a of a reason and more of a journey. Um, and like a lot of decisions in life, I and mean, we're talking about educating our children and we're talking about training them. And in our case, we're Christians. And so we have a decidedly um, Christian worldview and we want our children to share that ideology and share that worldview. So one of the main reasons why we home educate our kids is because we believe it's God's charge as parents to disciple them. Um, in his teaching, and that's the easiest way for us to do that and most effective is to have them be at home where we can be the one that's, that is in charge of their whole entire education process. That's part of the reason why we do it. We also love our kids. Um, I mean, I've had parents say, how could you be around your kids that much? You know, that's, a, that's sad. Um, I love my kids. I love to be around them. Every time I can spend time with them, I do. Um, my wife loves to be around, around our kids. We just love to be with each other as a family. Um, I've had people walk up to us before and they see us out and about and they go, wow, your kids are all so smiley and they're all so happy. Yes, they are because they also love to be around each other. And, and so it's one of those opportunities as a parent. Why would we not want to have time to spend time with the person that we're closest to? So those are some of the reasons as to why we do it as, and why we home educate our kids. Andrew and Pam Fields are the directors of Satchison, which stands for the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network. How many kids do you have, Andrew? Well, this is always a question. Nine we have currently, and I always say nine currently because, you know, we don't, don't have any idea how many God's going to bless us with. But we have nine, starting with 18, Caleb, and then Emma is 17. Ben and Isaac are twins, are 15. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do this all correct. I know you're smiling over there, Mike. Uh, Ruthann is 11. Sarah is eight. Clarity is six. Valor is four. And coming up and taking up the caboose right now is Eli, who just turned two um, last month in April. So when you and your wife, Pam, had first met, did you discuss things like how large a family you would like to see if, if God would so allow and, and about homeschooling also? Um, you know, that's interesting. Um, we did talk about that. Um, she always figured she'd probably have like two. I always figured we'd have four because I came from a family of four. And you just the, multiplied the numbers. Right. right? Yeah, we multiplied those <laughs> together. And then we did poor math. I mean, no, that's not, that's not correct. Um, we had four children. We had them fast. I mean, if you, if you were keeping track of the ages, I mean, we go 15 to 18 right now, which meant, and we sat down after our twins were born and said, wow, we're at four. We're going to go from being teenage parents to being empty nesters like in a few years. And that caused us to start to look at things. And so that caused us to look and see, well, what does God's word say about children and families? And as I looked in scripture, I couldn't find any place where God said, you should have X, you should have not X. All I found was that children were a blessing from the Lord, and then every time they weren't there, it was considered a curse. So at that point, we said, okay, if that's what God is communicating to us, then we should embrace this blessing. I mean, other things that we consider blessings are like health, finances, um, and those are things that if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, Mike, um, I'm God, and I would like to bless you with a whole lot of money or a whole lot of health so you can live to like 120, nobody says, well, hold on here. I just don't know if I can handle that much blessing. And why is it in America we do the same thing about kids? And so that's kind of how we got there. And fortunately, my wife and I agreed on this, and her health has held out, and my finances have held out because nine children is expensive, and it's been a wonderful ride for us. It's been great. It certainly adds up after a while. It does. Did you meet and marry at a young age, Andrew? No, we didn't. Um, Some people did. I mean, I consider it maybe young, but it's. um, I was 24, and we met when I was 23, and we were married within a year, So, um, but my wife was 21, so we were both older, I suppose. We weren't like 16 or 17 when we met. I think that's relative to where you grew up, because where I grew True. up in New York, that would be considered marrying on the younger side, <laughs> right. where, where a lot of people were waiting to their late 20s or early 30s, and the, the, 
stereotype was so that you could get your time in. And I don't necessarily agree Mm -hmm. with that, but it's certainly the environment on the East Coast where I was raised. And I spent a number of years out actually on the East Coast. I I worked um, for Westinghouse um, back East um, as 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 an engineer in the electronic warfare department. And so I worked back east. And so I experienced some of the East Coast philosophy and that, and that culture. And it is different. I mean, America has a number of different cultures depending upon the places you live. Um, and so then as I started getting closer to older in age, 21, 22, I'm there thinking, you know what? I just don't know if I'm going to be content and happy marrying a woman from the East Coast because it's very different. And so I made a decision to move back to where I was born and raised, which is in Salem, Oregon. So I moved back to Salem and that's where I met my wife, and that's where we were married, and that's where we've been ever since. And where did you meet her? I met her at church, at First Baptist Church. Um, it was a, I mean, I saw her there. It was, I mean, if, if love at first sight could possibly exist, that probably was it. I saw her and said, okay, that's, that is the woman that meets the requirements. It was one of those, and, and it wasn't just what I saw. It was also how she acted, how she carried herself. There were just a number of things about her that, amazingly enough, I would not even realize and would not even learn until later on in life. You you just don't you don't really get to know somebody until you're around them that many years. We just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations! Um, just this is last September. So you learn about them. I mean, and who would think? And who, she certainly wouldn't have thought that she would be a mother of nine. I certainly didn't think that I would be a father of nine, or that I could find a woman that would bear me nine children. For nine kids long. <laughs> right. I mean, th- those were not, when I mean, you said, would you plan these things? No, we did not. I mean, that's, like I said, that was God's provision and his plan. He's the one that said, I will provide the supply. There's an old proverb, and if my Spanish is any good, I could probably quote it, but there's a proverb, a little statement that they have down in Mexico, which says that every child is born with a sandwich under his arm. And, and, and I remember I had a guy that was working for me that was, that was from Mexico, and he told me that when, he's, when, he, when we were talking about our kids, and I said, I said, well, can you explain that? Because I think I know what that means. He says, well, it means that no matter what, God always makes sure that you have enough for every child that he gives to you. And I just think, what a wonderful, what a wonderful way to live your life. It, it lets you live your life with hope. It lets you live your life with, a, with an understanding of hopefulness and to realize that God's never going to give you anything more than you can handle. And that comes to children as well. So that's a wonderful thing. What a great reminder from a sandwich analogy of all things. Right, yes. And I love sandwiches. So it's, I mean, and, and I don't know if I'd want to eat one under a child's arm, but nonetheless, that's what the proverb <laughs> says. And maybe I've translated it incorrectly. So maybe if one of your, one of your Spanish-speaking listeners could communicate, maybe they could well, communicate we'll, we'll with it really. We'll go next to El Rey, see, right, see what they say. <laughs> so you grew up out here. I did. I grew up out in, I grew up in Salem. I mean, for the most part um, – Went to school at Salem Private early on, um, and then transferred over. Went spent one year at a at a small school out where, where I live now, Bethel Elementary School. It was a little, little. I mean, it's not a one room schoolhouse. It was a three room schoolhouse where first and second were in the same room, and third and fourth, and fifth and sixth. I went there for one year. Then I transferred over to Salem Academy. I went to school at Salem Academy. Um, got all the way through tenth grade there, and then I decided I wanted to take Japanese. That's why my Spanish isn't good. It's because I took Japanese as my language, and <laughs> and went to North Salem and actually graduated from North Salem High School in 1987. How was your experience at North Salem and at Salem Academy, for that matter? Did you enjoy it? Um, Salem Academy was um, there were some challenges and some struggles there. I mean, I did well in school. Um, Salem Academy was going through some some interesting patches there that weren't probably the, maybe the best for me. But um, but I think the school was well run. Uh, it just it's just there were some things that I was looking at that they didn't they couldn't offer at that time because they were going through some transitions. North was great. It had just gone through um, a fair degree of 
some problems with regards to violence in the school. And so there were a lot of people that said, oh, why would you go there? Because there were, there were some, um, some acts. I think there were some stabbings or something that took place in the, in the early 80s. Um, but there was an, ex, uh, an ex-football player. Um, uh, see, his name was uh, – oh, good. I'm trying to remember his name. But he, he became the principal there, a large guy. And he really helped to turn that school around. Did a great job. And I enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear that. Andrew Fields is the director of Satchison, which stands for the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, alongside his wife, Pam Fields, another director. And they're hosting the Satchison 2015 Homeschool Roundup Thursday, May 28th, starting at 630 at night at Our Savior's Lutheran Church in South Salem. That's on Baxter Road, right by the Commercial Street Walmart. And the neat thing about it is you can find out all about the different intricacies and reasons for homeschooling. Absolutely free from families and experts and people who are just passionate about raising and educating their kids from the home. It's certainly a great option, and you can find out more on their website, satchison.org, which is spelled S-A-C-H-S-N dot O-R-G. And you're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and in addition to being able to have the privilege of being the director of local ministries here at True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, and 93.1 El Rey. I get to hang out on Fridays and meet interesting people. In this case, it's a friend, Andrew Fields, the director of the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, like all other homeschooling organizations, represented by an acronym, Satchison, S-A-C-H-S-N, which... A lot of people mispronounce, but we're going to stick with Satchison. They're based in Salem, and you can find out more information on the website, satchison.org, spelled S-A-C-H-S-N.org. And don't forget about the 2015 Homeschool Roundup, a free admission informational event. No sales are going to be taking place Thursday, May 28th, starting at 6.30 p.m. in South Salem on Baxter Road at Our Savior's Lutheran Church, which is right up the block from the Commercial Street Walmart. So, again, Andrew, thanks for coming here today. I really appreciate your company. And earlier on, we were talking about your background of growing up in Salem. So, so many of us, myself not included, have grown up in the Northwest and never really ventured far from it. So tell us how your experience was going out to the East Coast and completely transplanting. It was definitely unique. Um, you, you, you expect that you believe because you go to school and you study different states, you memorize the capitals, you look at battles in history, and you think you know what a place is like because you've studied it. But really, until you've lived someplace and you've been around the people, you really don't know what that place is like and you really don't know its personality. And so for me, it, it was, I mean, very friendly. I mean, Maryland, where I lived, um, I would have thought of as in the north, but I was explained when I got there that no, it actually is part of the south. Um, and so there is a certain degree of, of southern hospitality there that is great. It's wonderful. It's, I mean, you're, you're you're down in a neighborhood and the people invite you into their house. I mean, it's just one of those things that's, it's not that that hospitality doesn't exist here in the Northeast or the Northwest, but it is a different kind and a different style back East. Definitely different. Oh, it's very different. Morgan Smith from the fish and I were talking about this because she also is an East coast transplant. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a pastor locally who calls this Portland nice. Portland nice to him is the way that people in the Northwest tend to be generally congenial and mm-hmm. polite, but it's real tough to crack the ice and get to know them beyond that level. So would you, would you say that's been somewhat true in your eyes as someone who's moved out to the East? Right. I, I, I probably wouldn't have defined it that way at all had I never left here. 
But leaving Portland and going to Maryland, and in specifically Columbia, Maryland, where I lived, it, you definitely see the differences. And you see the difference between how the people act and how they interact one with another. And so, yeah, I would say that there's probably a certain, there's a certain truth to that. And I do think that once you get past that initial and once a person gets to know you, I think that that hospitality still exists. It's just that I think that the individuals there, specifically in the South, they just trust really fast. Um, they just trust a person walking – somebody walking out in front of their house. They trust them without even knowing them. And that is – I think it's probably risky for them in some respects because trust is to a certain degree risk. But they're willing to do it, and it's great. I'm glad to hear that. So when you moved back here and met your wife, Pam, you're about 23-ish, and mm-hmm. she's about 21 or mm-hmm. so. Was your faith pretty strong at this point, or were you just kind of church hopping or, and happened to be back in the area? Did you grow up in a Christian family, Andrew? Grew up in a Christian home. Um, I would not say my faith was, as strong, was, was very strong. I mean, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily weak, but it certainly wasn't where it probably should be. Um, I had lived on my own for a number of years. I lived around uh, individuals that had a different culture, and the, that's another thing that's different is the church culture in the South is different. I mean, I was going to a Southern Baptist church there, which is very different than the churches out here, a lot of them. And so there were some differences there that I was having to adapt to. So I wouldn't say that it was as strong as it is now. Um, it's developed and grown through the years as God has challenged my wife and I and our relationship and challenged our lives and with various struggles. And every time you encounter those battles and, he, and God proves faithful, your, your faith becomes stronger and grows stronger. So would you say that both you and your wife, Pam, were fairly solid in your beliefs before you decided to get married? Or was... Christianity and faith, just kind of cultural, something you did or grew up with. No, we were pretty strong in our faith and our beliefs before we got married. We were definitely Christians. We definitely attended church and believed that God was important. But we had a early 20-somethings philosophy and understanding of God. And um, God is one of those people that the closer you get to him, the bigger he becomes. I mean, he just becomes larger and greater. And so when you're far from him, you just don't know him that well. And so as you age and you get older and you study more— you gain a deeper understanding to the point now where, and I look back, I think, how did I successfully navigate some of the decisions I had to make? But I realized that God also knew that I had that immaturity. And so he doesn't give me, he doesn't give me a, a 45-year-old problem to solve when I'm 24. He gives me a 24-year-old problem to solve. And that's the wonder of God is that he knows us better than we know ourselves. So even though I, my faith was strong, it certainly wasn't as, wasn't as strong as it is now. So as you were growing up, when did it become your own versus what your family was doing? Oh, goodness. A- any light bulb moments or mentoring figures in your life, whether it's a dad, uh, someone from your church, a friend? I had lots of people that were influential. My parents are very influential, and they really did a great job of making sure that our faith was something more than just something we did on Sundays. Um, my mom was very instrumental in communicating to me. And helped me to understand that um, that God was a personal God. He wasn't um, a, a, he wasn't this 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 large being. He was personal, and he did care about me and my life personally. And so my mom was very influential. My dad was also very involved in service and ministry, and took us places. Um, I mean, I can remember. I mean, it's still something he does to this day. We're getting ready to take off to go drive someplace. It doesn't matter if you're getting ready to go drive an hour or two hours over the pass. And he'll stop and say, "Hey, let's just pray before we take off and drive." Um, that sort of interaction as we grew up is something which stuck with me. So my faith was fairly was fairly owned by myself. I owned that as I went to school. I mean, I was I maintained my purity as a, as a young man going through college. A lot of men did not. Um, I didn't drink through school either. I went to a public university where that certainly was common. So I I adopted and had a lot of those life philosophies and a lot of those things that people call rules. 
but that I called virtue. Um, and I lived with those virtues because that's what my parents taught me and trained me. So it seemed like it wasn't just a, a checklist of rote rules for you to follow as much as you did own it fairly young. Yes, I did. I mean, my mom was talking to the other day, Mother's Day, she was talking to my wife about, and, and one of the guests that was there about what was Andrew like growing up. And she goes, well, the twos were the worst, terriblest twos, and the three were the more terrible threes, and the fours were the incorrigible, awful fours. And she said, and then when he was about four and three quarters, he went to school and he accepted Jesus Christ as a savior and came home and said, you know, mom, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. I think it's time for me to be good. And she said, and it was like a night and day difference from the from four and a, four and three quarters to on. He became this perfect child, and I know she means perfect in air quotes. But I was there was definitely a difference. Now I don't remember that as much because I don't remember life that much at two or three and four. So this was at school. This was at so, yes. It was. Do you remember anything about this? I do. Oh, I do remember who, making the decision. Mrs. Hunsaker. Yeah, Mrs. That? Hunsaker was the woman that actually led me to Christ at kindergarten. Um, in fact, at a, at, a, at a church that actually still exists in Salem today, right over there on the corner of Center Lancaster, um, it's uh, the um, Salem Bible Church right there behind Roth's IGA. That was where I accepted Christ as my Savior um, at, that, at that little small church. And in fact, one of, the, one of the actual members that actually helps us at Satchison is actually attends that church. And in fact, starting in July, we're actually going to be starting um, monthly meetings. Again, we, we did that years ago. We're going to be starting those again, second Tuesday of each month. Well, I think July 14th is the first one, and it'll take place at that church where I accepted Christ. Oh, goodness, 41-plus years ago. Comes around, goes around. <laughs> it's amazing. How that's, that's just amazing. It's the same building of it all It is the exact things. same building. All uh, these years later, probably not too much has been done to it since then. Not a lot. In fact, I was in there oh, a little not too long ago, and I walked in, and I can remember that place like it was yesterday. Yeah, it's amazing. So you mentioned the importance of homeschooling parents getting together to fellowship. Do you think that here in the Northwest in particular, there's a culture that encourages that or has more of a standoffish cowboy mentality where it's okay to be individualistic? Okay, all homeschoolers are cowboys. That's just a foregone conclusion. So by definition, you, whenever you have a group of 10 or 15 homeschoolers together, they're all chiefs. I don't know that you hardly have a group where there aren't, there aren't. I don't know where the Indians ever show up. It's all chiefs. All of them are chiefs. That's just the way homeschoolers are because they've made a choice to do something which sets them apart and makes them different. And it doesn't matter whether they're Christian homeschoolers or non-Christian homeschoolers. And there's plenty of those. They're still making a choice to not follow what has, to a large extent, been culturally, and I don't know if I want to use the word inbred, but it's been culturally inculcated into them to say, hey, when your child reaches a certain age, you take them and drop them off at a building and somebody else educates them. They're basically saying, nope, we're going to do something different. And so they're all going to be leaders in that respect. Um, but to a certain extent, that also makes them independent. And it makes them be more likely to say, I can do this on my own. But all of them also look, and they're also, in most cases, teachable. I mean, remember, these are individuals that educate their children, and so they're constantly learning on their own. Many moms will start home educating and not know math very well. But goodness, after they've homeschooled two or three kids through algebra, pre-algebra, calculus, they know math better than they ever knew in high school because they've taught it. And so they're also teachable. And so you, you combine an independent spirit with a teachable spirit, and they will come to a point in time where they will realize, I can't do this on my own. And it's that that drives them to community where they go, yes, I now want to be arm in arm. And so there's a lot of co-ops and a lot of groups that get, get together um, in, in the Salem area and even in Portland. So do you think it's easier now than it was when you first began homeschooling your kids? Your oldest is, what, 19 or so? Yeah, almost 19. Yeah, he'd be 19 in a few weeks. Um, it's easier in the stamp, from the standpoint of curriculum and from the standpoint of legality and from the standpoint of mainstream acceptedness. 
I mean, when we started, I can remember a conversation with my father saying, you're going to what? You're going to who? How? I mean, and, and you had to explain. And then, of course, you get the age-old question. And I think you know what it is. What's the first question all homeschoolers always get asked when they say they're homeschooling to somebody? Drum roll, please. What about socialization? <laughs> Every single person asks that question. And what's interesting is that's been... That's been so disproven that homeschooled students aren't socialized so many times by every statistical marker you can find out there. Homeschoolers are like eight times more likely to be involved in, in, in social activities outside of their home, like five times more likely to vote, like nine times more likely to be involved in a political campaign. I mean, it, just about every single possible component could exist. They're more likely. That's just where they are. They, yeah. So the reality is, is that um, when it comes to home education and the reasons as to why, lots of people do it. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily easier now. There are different challenges. Um, but I would say from the standpoint of curriculum, from the standpoint of what it is that a person needs to do, there are definitely some, it's definitely simpler in some respects. Pam Fields and her husband here in the studio, Andrew Fields, are the directors of Satchison, standing for the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, inviting you to their absolutely free 2015 homeschool roundup. Thursday, May 28th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Our Savior's Lutheran Church in South Salem. It's on Baxter Road right by the Commercial Street Walmart. You can find more information on our website, kpdq.com. Find out more about Satchison at satchison.org. That's S-A-C-H-S-N dot O-R-G. And you're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Andrew Field is in the studio today. Andrew and his wife, Pam, are the directors of Satchison, an acronym standing for the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, with more information on their website, satchison.org, which is spelled S-A-C-H-S-N dot O-R-G. And they'd like to formally invite you to their absolutely free admission, Satchison 2015 Homeschool Roundup, Thursday, May 28th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Our Savior's Lutheran Church in South Salem. That's on Baxter Road, right up the hill from the Commercial Street Walmart. And Andrew, as someone who's been in the home education field for so long, we were discussing how the game has changed over the years with your oldest approaching 19 now. Mm-hmm. So how do you believe that homeschooling and home education as a whole is holding up as an option in today's world when it comes to education choices? Well, one of the things that probably one of the, is the biggest indicator is how well sought, they, sought after they are from universities. Um, and they are well sought after. In fact, um, I was at a committee meeting down in Salem, one of, our, one of the committees I'm on, um, at Corbin University. And I was talking to the head of the, of the School of, of Political Science there, and he said their students, most of which are home educated there in that program, many of which are, some of the most well sought after students there are those home educated students at the Capitol. And they're well sought after, not just by those you would think or of the political, the, the specific political aisle that might want to actually recruit a Christian homeschooler, but by both sides. So they're well sought after. Uh, um, as an educational choice, you're getting, the scoring averages right now, just from an academic standpoint, puts them between 20 and 30 percentage points higher than, than the average. So just from the actual output of what it is you're producing, you're going to produce, you produce a better, a better more educated child. Um, and a lot of that comes from a lot of different factors. I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, there's factors that go into that that have nothing to do with the home. But I believe most of that is parental involvement. It has to do with the character that the parents can try to, that can try to actually um, teach into them. Um, they're definitely character is certainly encouraged. A lot of the home educated kids have to do a lot of self-study. They, there's a fair quantity of, <clears throat> of self-determination that takes place in their educational choices and, and options. And there's certainly a lot of individuation that takes place. I mean, they're able to be able to pick and choose 
because each and every child has the opportunity to be able to pick and choose exactly what it is that they themselves want to learn and where they want to actually focus. And so as they're looking towards towards college, they have those options. There are programs out there now um, for home educators that, that also exist for public school students, but they're much more difficult where you can, I mean, my two of my boys are, are going to be starting one right now called College Prep and College Plus, which literally could allow them to get a four-year degree before they graduate from high school. So they'd literally graduate like 18, 18 and a half with like a Bachelor of Arts degree. That's that's a rare thing that home education has to offer. That's a huge positive for people that are looking for options out there from an educational standpoint. See, I find it funny that you're a homeschooling family, and yet both you and your wife, Pam, grew up in the public school system. Yeah, and that's actually not that abnormal. Uh, here's another interesting fact you'll probably think is strange, is that public school teachers are twice as likely to home educate their kids as, as, the, as the public at large. Um, which I always find that interesting as to why somebody that actually promotes and produces a product would be twice as likely not to consume it. But nonetheless, that is the truth. Um, we grew up in the public schools, so we know what's there. Um, I mean, it's the public education system in America. I don't think anybody right now is saying is a, is a roaring success. It's got a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles, and those aren't just academic. I mean, there are struggles from a, from a character standpoint, from a safety standpoint, um, from a standpoint of, of, of emotional and psychological uh, building up or tearing down, and those are things that we don't want our children to have to try to try to weather. We want them to be in, in a in a safe environment that actually allows them to be able to grow and be nurtured, so they can actually not have to deal with some of those difficulties. So, backtrack to your early twenties. You moved back from the East Coast. You see your potential wife in Pam at church. Did you have any ideas that home education was something that you wanted to pursue? And how was her reaction to that? No, I was always planning on putting my children in the best possible school that I could track down to make them the most educated they could possibly be. Starting off, that was my plan. Um, in fact, our oldest actually went for a few months in, in public school. He's the only one of my children that spent any day inside of a public school. He went for three months. But we grew up next to some neighbors in Salem they had six kids, and they home-educated their kids. I think three of their kids – I mean, all of their kids are incredibly brilliant. I mean, three of them are like – I think two of them have PhDs already. I mean, they're incredibly smart family. And that was our first exposure to home education. And so my wife came over one day and says, hey, this family home-educates. What do you think about that? And my first response was, uh, I'll give you a few months, and if it's not working out great, then he's going back in school. That was how it started. So these neighbors, are, are you good friends to this day? Not my wife still is friends with with uh, with the wife. I mean, I was never great friends with the husband. Um, they're the coward family. They're up in Washington, um, but we still keep in contact with them. I mean, and, and they, we we exchange Christmas cards throughout the year. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of the homeschooling or home educating families tend to remain tighter over the years, even when they do move away? Yeah, there's there's a certain degree of that I think that takes place because they shared in a journey together. Um, that was definitely unique. I don't know that they're necessarily more likely than ones that were in other environments, but but certainly we seem to still keep in contact with a lot of the friends we've gained through the years. So nine kids later, any regrets? No, not a one. I couldn't. Which child would I need to get rid of? Not not a one. No, I meant when it comes to the home educating. Oh, I didn't, oh. I didn't mean. Yeah, any of your kids bother you enough that you wish you never had them? That wasn't my question. Well, good. Thank I, you I meant for clarifying. About home education. No. <laughs> No, um, that and, could have been a dangerous answer for you. It could have been <laughs> the um, yes, yes. You, you have to you have to hit those up a little easier so I can understand where you're going. The um, 
No, no regrets at all. I mean, it's has it had struggles? Have there been challenges? Certainly. Are there days when you feel inadequate as a parent? Uh, probably almost every day. Um, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's easy for you because, of course, you have this or your wife has this or whatever. And they somehow think that home educating parents are in this special group that makes them special. The reality is the more you get to know most home educating parents, the more you realize that they're just exactly like the parent who has their child in public school or the parent that has their child in private school. It really isn't anything special about us. There isn't. In fact, statistics show that um, there is no difference with regards to the output and the performance academically of a home-educated child, whether their parent graduated from high school or has a PhD. So, in fact, actually, PhDs actually scored one percentage points lower. So, in effect, actually, two PhD parents actually do worse than the kids that, didn't, that have parents that didn't graduate from high school. So, it's, it really isn't about the parent's education or even them. It's about them making a choice to say, I will make this stand and I will make the, the effort and make the and the willful choice and the deliberate choice to say I will educate my child. That is where it really comes back to. Andrew Field is one of the directors of Satchison, the Salem area Christian Homeschool Network. And earlier on, Andrew, you were talking about some of the stereotypes that are attributed to homeschooling kids and parents in particular. So, would you like to address any of them? Yeah, there's actually a number of memes out there you can find on Facebook. My wife forwards them to me from time to time, um, and then and then I, when I don't read them, she then forces me to read them so she can laugh. Um, certainly there's the, the denim jumper wearing family, um, with the dress wearing family, the family that, that took their TV and blew it up and they raised goats. I mean, all those stereotypes, um, exist and reality is stereotypes do exist for a reason. There are homeschooling families that do subscribe to some of those philosophies and some of those ideologies and you'll see them. And I want to break in and say... If that's how you believe as a homeschooling Christian parent that the Lord is leading you, by all means, run with that with all your might. Certainly. I, I adore mm-hmm. coaching softball with and against girls who play in denim skirts, and oh. we're okay with that. We are so okay with all of that. Just because... so long as they don't take a call third strike. For crying out loud, two strikes protect the plate, ladies. My goodness. <laughs> that's right. We want them to swing. <laughs> we want to make sure that they're actually going down with the, with the bat moving. Yes, Mike and I have both actually been involved in a, in a homeschool baseball league, so we, we have some affinities there. I would say with regards to the different stereotypes, there are reasons for them, but the reality is is that homeschoolers are no different than any other group. We have a whole entire diversity. We're not one monolithic, everybody marches to the exact same drum. We have certain goals with regards to education that puts us all in the same vein. But if you go to – my wife used to host a, um, an Above Ruby's conference um, – that, that meets in, in uh, Salem. And I think she's hosted like seven or eight years. And if you took a, a cross-section of the women that would attend there, you would find the dress wear. You would find the combat boot wearing camouflage woman. You'd find the woman that was six foot two and looks like a lumberjack. You'd find the woman that was dressed in, in pinafores. I mean, you would find the whole entire gamut because it's, it really isn't one monolithic thing. People make that choice, and it doesn't matter where they came from when they choose it. It's the choice they've made, not where they came from that make, that drives them to that. And it's not a bad thing at all. So, no. so yes, maybe there is some truth to each stereotype mm-hmm. out here. But the home educating world right here in the Pacific Northwest right now is anything but closed-minded and small. It is fairly diverse. And we as Christian homes educating parents are allowed to agree to disagree. And there are some real wide gamuts when it comes to how we choose to educate our kids. And I don't believe that's necessarily a bad thing. No, and and you'll even find different diversity within with regards to the educational model. I mean, you'll find 
some that homeschool that choose a fairly strict um, rigor of academic discipline um, that actually puts them on one of the spectrum. And you'll find others that say, no, we want to do more of what is commonly called unschooling, where the child is involved and they go on nature walks and, and they'll walk and they'll walk. And as they're walking in nature, the mom will see something on the ground and say, oh, look at this. Let's go back and let's go look that up and study this. And let's write a paper about that plant we just found. And let's find out where it's native to and how did it come here and and where can we locate it and when does it grow? All those things will happen. It's just a different way of doing it. And, you know, you can look at both sets and you've and there is currently right now results for both of those. that will show that each result will produce a child that academically is successful it's just a matter of the approach of that particular family. And that's the beauty of home education. So in our final minute here before mm-hmm. break, Andrew Fields, one of the directors of the Satcherson Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network. There's a parent out there who doesn't believe that he or she is home educated material. Speak to him or her right now. Oh, you can do it. The reality is, is that we have people that contact us and talk to us and come to the roundup every year that say, I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. We had a guy show up last year, single dad. Um, actually, he's a grandpa who actually has a, has a grandson who is having difficulty in school. He's currently home educating him right now. Um, and he didn't think it could be done. But you know what? His kid is doing very well. His kid is doing the best he's ever done. You can do it. It's about education, but it's also about shepherding your child's mm-hmm. heart. You can find out more about the Homeschool Roundup on our website, kpdq.com, and about Satchison 2015 Homeschool Roundup on its own website, satchison.org, S A C H. SN.org, and you're listening to Two Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here with an old friend. It's Andrew Fields. Andrew and his wife Pam are the directors of Satchison, an acronym for the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, with more information on Satchison itself, in addition to the Homeschool Roundup, on their website, satchison.org. That's spelled S A C H S N. Dot O-R-G. So, Andrew, tell us about the Homeschool Roundup in particular and what you're looking forward to most this year. Homeschool Roundup is an, or it's a, it's an event that takes place every year. Um, it is primarily the main purpose, the main thing we're trying to drive is we're trying to provide a place for, for parents that are either, one, already home educating and they want information, or two, to a large extent, those that are curious. And I mean, that we think of the grandparent who just found out that his grandchildren are being home educated, and like, what is this all about? And they want to find out what it is. So they can walk in there and they can see 30 to 40 um, different uh, co-ops and community groups that provide um, services to the home educating community and, and talk to them and, and ask questions. Um, there, there's always an experts panel. We do that every single year. We, we gather various different individuals from various different walks of life. We'll take homeschool grads. We'll take a parent who's, I mean, is late, who's in his 50s homeschooling, maybe a grandchild, or a parent who has three kids homeschooled at home and they're working through that process right now. And they're young. We try to make sure that there's a good cross section. And then we have questions. I have a list of 20 some odd questions. I ask them every year, which are the most common ones people ask us. And in addition, we allow the, the, um, the, the, the audience to write questions down and come bring them to me. And I'll ask those as well. Just a good interaction. So this isn't a sit down, show up seminar as much as it's an interactive series of being able to ask questions and answers. And who are some of these homeschooling experts that will be coming to your guest panel? I'm curious. Well, um, this we use a lot of times those particular names usually don't come up until we get towards the tail end. We I mean, I can think of Wes Butler right now is one of the ones that's, that's planned to be there. He's been on the board of Ocean Network for years. Um, 
We actually have asked uh, Dwayne Stark, who's actually a representative in the House of Representatives. We've asked if he would come, and he's actually said either he or his wife will probably come and serve on the panel. So there's some possibilities there. Now, do they home educate their kids? They do, yeah. That's actually, this year, I believe we have four or five legislators in the state legislature that are actually home educators. So this is becoming more common than you think. That's good to hear that. And you mentioned the Ocean Convention. Not too long ago, we had Kyle and Noah Justice on from Awesome Science, who are another home educating family, and they're really into science and videos, and they're just really neat people. They are going to be speaking at Portland's Oregon Christian Home Education Conference. It's coming up in June at the Oregon Convention Center. You can find out more details at OceanNetwork.org. That's Ocean Network with only one N, dot O-R-G. Tell us about the Ocean Network and Satchison's relationship with it. The Ocean Network is a statewide organization. So they would be like the equivalent of us, only statewide. It's one of the oldest organizations in the state for home education. Um, that is the organization that if you're home educating now or considering it, they're the ones that help to be instrumental in getting some of the laws passed to make it legal. A lot of people... Are even asked today, is it legal? They'll say, oh, can you home educate your children? Um, and really up until about 85, it wasn't legal. It was illegal. You had compulsory education, had to go to school. They helped to make that happen. Um, the conference takes place every year in Portland. Um, it's, I mean, we've been going probably 10 or 11 years. I've spoken at the conference in the past. It's an excellent opportunity. It is different than the Roundup. Um, the Roundup is much more interactive. The conference has much more seminars you can go to. It's a two-day conference on a Friday and a Saturday. It has breakout sessions um, probably well, 40 to 50 different um, sessions you can go to. There are sessions for parents of preschoolers, sessions for parents of teens, sessions for teens themselves, sessions for grandparents. It's, just a, it's a great it, – I mean I would encourage anyone that's either homeschooling now or considering homeschooling to get signed up for the conference. It's fairly inexpensive. I think it's like 40, 50, 60 bucks, I mean, and, and that's for both parents. So I don't know of a conference you can go to in Portland at the convention center for less than three bells. And there's a Burgerville right up the hill within walking distance. There is. Which I, I visit every time I go to the convention center, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. And one of the surveys we had taken following one of these Ocean Network conventions was favorite speaker. And I have to admit that you were one of them. Several mm-hmm. years back, you teamed up with a pastor from Salem First Baptist. Could you explain what your session was at this point? The um, Historically, one of the things that people had have accused homeschoolers of is being, and I don't want to use this word pejoratively, but isolationist in some respects of sometimes having difficulties serving in their church. Um, and to a large point, many years ago, home educators, especially Christian home educators, sometimes saw themselves as homeschoolers first and Christians second. And I don't think they intended that on purpose. That's just kind of how it was because they were doing something which was not well embraced, and it was difficult. I mean, many of them had to lock their doors and drive around the block with their kids hiding under the seats and then drive back into the garage to home educate back in the 70s and early 80s. So it was a different world. And so one of the things that I was trying to speak about was the ways that we as home educators could still be involved and still be used and serve in our churches, even in an environment where sometimes people can sometimes see us as outsiders. And, I, and that was important. And so one of the ways I thought that could be accomplished was to bring my pastor. Um, I mean, he's got a PhD in education. What better than to do that? And so that was, what the, that was primarily what our focus was, was to try to encourage home educators to still be involved in their church, in their local church. And what struck you about this pastor in the first place? He was open-minded and teachable. I mean, and I just loved him. He'd barely, he hadn't been at our church for very long, but I, in my opportunity I had in working with him, um, is, um, I really felt that he really had an open mind. Um, and he's, he's just a wonderful man. I mean, I still keep in contact with him today. 
Um, and I really enjoyed that opportunity that we had. So what can the church do to better serve the minority being Christian home educators, in your opinion? I think probably one of the biggest things is that we just have to—churches have to be aware that homeschooling parents are no different than anyone else in their flock. Um, some people will have this opinion that, oh, home educators, because they're taking on this task, which many people think of as very difficult, and it is, that somehow that makes them better or makes them less likely to fall, just like everybody else. And it, does, it doesn't. A church needs to look at them just like everybody else. We have feet of clay as Christians. We fall. We have struggles. We have difficulties just like everybody else. They just may be different. Our children have struggles too. I mean, people say, oh, the home-educated kids are, they're this or they're that. They all walk in a straight line. No, they have the same exact fallen heart that every other believer has. I mean, we may see their problems sooner because they're in our house more, but nonetheless, their problems still exist, and we still have to pray for them. We still have to work through those, and the church is a key component of that. Home educators can't just leave the church. The church is there for a reason, and we need to make sure we're a part of it. And conversely, since there are some bits of truth to each stereotype, if you had to speak to a homeschooling family right now about the ways in which they can serve outside of simply educating their own kids and being members of society that are productive and godly and sharing with the world, even with the non-homeschooling world, what would you tell them? You know, you still need to make sure that you're out and about. Most home educators do. Most home educators are involved in lots of different organizations and they serve. Um, a lot of them serve as families, and I think it's important for them to do that. Um, I think it's also important for them to also remember that as they're in their church, even if and some churches aren't hugely friendly towards home educators. Some of them have a tendency to look at them and they're, they're afraid of them. I would encourage them, set up an appointment, sit down with your pastor. If you're in a church where you think that you're not well-liked or maybe there's a barrier, try to build a bridge. Go sit down with your pastor and say, we just want to get to know you. That is, I mean, that's how I learned how the East Coast was different from the West Coast. I sat with people. I ate lunch with them. I broke bread with them. Do that with your pastor, and you know what? He'll get to know you. You'll get to know them. That's how we, that's how we build those bridges is with time. I think all Christians often get stuck with miscommunications and presumptions and not wanting to go to bed on our anger, neither which should we go to bed on our misinterpretations or possible misinterpretations of what other people are thinking or feeling. So Andrew Fields, in our final minute here, as one of the directors of the Salem Area Christian Homeschool Network, abbreviated by the abbreviation Satchison, thanks so much for coming in today and inviting our listeners to the absolutely free admission Homeschool Roundup. It's coming Thursday, May 28th from 6.30 to 8.30 at Our Savior's Lutheran Church in South Salem on Baxter Road, right up the hill from the Commercial Street Walmart. Anyone want to say hi to, Andrew? Uh, say hi to my wife, and I also want to make a quick announcement of also June 9th is the Curriculum Fair. My wife will, would really want to make sure I mention that. It's at Salem Evangelical uh, on 455 Locust from 1 to 4 on June 9th. More information at satchison.org. That's S-A-C-H-S-N dot O-R-G. And thank you so much for joining us on Difference Makers on True Talk 800.